I got in my wife's car one day on the weekend and there was a straight up bowl and a spoon in it with like a little bit of milk and some Cheerios crumbs in the center console. Hey, I'm Steve. And I'm Lance. We're Curious Car Guys. Welcome to Launch Control. <laughs> We're getting mad men up in here. All right, guys, welcome back. This is Launch Control Season 1, Episode 10. What's happening? We're here uh, discussing things that we know about cars and car culture and exploring things that we don't. We're here with Adam of High Mileage. Honored to be here, guys. Thanks very much for having me on. Yeah, appreciate it. And welcome to everybody on our Facebook Live uh, stream right now. Uh, You're catching the unadulterated, unedited, um, and and the most mistakes. Lance always, whenever I say this, Lance says, I don't make mistakes. Yeah, I don't. So, I need to yeah, text my lawyer mistakes. and have yeah. him on standby. Yeah. 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 This is yeah. unedited. Unedited, yeah. unbleeped. So here okay. we go. Okay, here we go. All right. Well, hey, I, just to give a little back, bit of background, I actually ran into Adam virtually. So we um, went to the Radwood Austin uh, event probably about three weeks ago, um, and I ran across this Isuzu Impulse um, that was the year that I liked the most. And it was red, which I had never seen a red one um, in that generation. And I kind of nerded out over it. And uh, it was my first show like that. So I didn't spend a lot of time walking around and meeting people. I spent a lot of time looking at the cars and then we were making the same day trip back home. So uh, because of the Radwood postings and the interactions that we had, your car came up, Adam. And I was like, oh, there it is. Now I know the guy that's tagged with it. And so then we started talking a little bit back and forth, and you had a really interesting story. So I thought, you know, it just so happened serendipitously that you were in the DFW area catching a couple of shows that were up here, which we'll talk about. And um, we thought it might be a good idea for us to sit down and talk for well, a little bit. Well, I mean, bit. I, I love being on podcasts. And in fact, this brings me back to, ooh, 2009, uh, when the guys at Burnout Radio, uh, based in Rockwall, way out there was a burnout radio burnout radio there was i think maybe it still exists yeah Uh, we can get to him later and his wild success but uh it was we'll have an anchorman brawl they're they're amazing Uh, well actually charlie he's he's a yeah you 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 might not you have the bald down the bald is good uh the bald is pretty tough (laughs) aerodynamic college football and now it does uh i it's like real jousting I don't, it's mm. like, I'm serious. It's like, there's a whole league of, so Charlie is way more interesting than me. And after, if I talk about him too much, you'll want him on here. I can, I'll hook y'all <laughs> up. But way back in the day, uh, you know, podcasting was brand new in 2009. Podcasting yeah. was yeah. edgy. Um, and uh, Ford, before the launch of the American Market Fiesta, decided they were going to take uh, 100 influential people, give them uh, a Fiesta to drive oh. for six months before the launch of the car. Um, and they gave it to these guys named Burnout Radio uh, for their automotive podcast. Uh, and they didn't even realize that auto journalism was a thing that was happening here in Texas. So I contacted them one day and I said, hey, I'm in town. I've got a Ford Mustang convertible. Can I come by? You know, maybe I can be on the show. You know, if you want, they're like, yeah. wait, how do we get the Mustang? I said, well, you can have the Mustang if I can borrow the Fiesta. And they're like, dude, absolutely. I'm like, no, but the Fiesta is the coolest Car, you can't even get it. They're like, no, we want the Mustang. Okay, so we traded. I drove it all the way to Corpus Christi from Dallas, took it out on an autocross lap, 
this was a this was a Fiesta ST or a Fiesta market Fiesta that before the Fiesta was even available because I will probably wouldn't have made that trade with a regular Fiesta. Oh, actually, yeah. I mean the the Euro market Fiesta, even the even American market Fiesta is a fabulous car. Yeah, which is why. Oh my God, yes. Which is why it's such a shame that Ford is now pulling pulling the production of everything. It's a fantastic vehicle, and actually, the suspension tuning for the American market car is even more aggressive than the European market car because American cars have to come on all-season tires. Okay. Uh, the European version that I had was running on Pirelli P0, either Rosso or Nero yeah. uh, tires. So I took it to the autocross track. My second lap out, I got top time of day. Oh, Two, two vets in an M3 wound up beating me that day. Everybody came up to me. They were like, what the hell is this thing? And you better tell me it's not coming to the U.S. <laughs> um, I had a guy sell his M3 to get a Fiesta SD when serious? it came out. Wow. Um, oh, it's like that, huh? Yeah. But these guys at Burnout Radio, you know, we podcasted from, oh, it was a rented space somewhere in Rockwall. So when I come to Dallas, it makes me think of, uh, you know, these great days when we, we were at the cusp of social media and before the term key influencer had even been invented, and yeah. we were them. Yeah, yeah. And it made me think, you know, oh, man, those are the good old days podcasting. And then I got the invite from Launch Control. So thank <laughs> you are. very much <laughs> wow. for, for the invitation. Yeah. yeah, it's good. Good to have you. Yeah, yeah. appreciate it. So you've got – so I was looking through your, your social media that you mentioned and at High Mileage, and I was really kind of – it intrigued me, the tagline you had in your profile. You were talking about, like, mm. revolutionizing – kind of the yeah, perception so tell I, me a little bit about how it how it started you started it at around 15 years old sure yeah right? yeah and I'm how did it start that. tell me a little so, bit about that uh, the tagline because I it's in, I'm glad that that resonated with you guys it's you and I will change the world for people who love cars and I think it's important um especially now the nature of media is so different I was a print journalism major at UH and in 03 you know media was was very much a one-way one-way channel people didn't know why somebody was sitting you know at a, at a press conference with a cell phone why somebody was not paying attention you know and now it's such a two-way conversation i think it's so important to to if you're going to have a social media channel you need to have that dialogue and so this is about you and i you and i and i'm not looking for big numbers with high mileage i never have i'm yeah. looking for resonance yeah um and again this this sort of term influencer kind of gives everybody nausea these days but but uh <laughs> The MO for high mileage was always to influence the influencers, to affect product change through discussion in creating a think tank with the automotive, like the elite, the best of the best. That's a that's a pretty big statement. So tell me a little bit about um, like how you plan to influence, you know, at least early on how you wanted to influence product. product. Well, it was great. Um, I remember. So high mileage started as a blog at 15 on Blogger. Um, I graduated early from high school and started at the University of Houston. Um, Houston is a city of seven and a half million people now, um, but the university had the second largest daily newspaper in the city, and we were 80% commuter. So these kids were, they had jobs, they were automotively aware, and they all had to have cars. Mm. They were interested in cars. Houston is such a car city, too. It's a driver's city. They have a great car scene, yeah. Mm. And uh, on our freeways are just Awesome. So it's a, it's a good place you want to drive, right? <laughs> Until rush hour. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so it's then. changed since since the rose-colored glasses of 03. Yeah. But but I think, you know, going to Houston really, you know, helped me kind of kick it into high gear. And, and, and high mileage, you know, it stayed on uh, it stayed on Blogger. And I still remember the day I got a call um, from Marsha at Toyota, the, the fleet manager. And she just completely, like, it was no big thing. And by then, I think I was maybe a sophomore in college. I had just turned 18. 
and wait, you were a sophomore in college. Subtle flex, by the way. Yeah, no, 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 it wasn't. No, I was on my third round in ninth grade. Timeline because it started at fifteen. I graduated early. I was seventeen at UH, and then I had just turned eighteen. And Toyota called, and they're like, "Hey, we want to we want to send you a car. Like, do you have time for?" And I'm like, "What?" And they're like, yeah, you know, we your blog high mileage, like we saw it, and we see that you, you know, you have industry analysis thoughts, so we're going to send you a Scion TC, supercharged. Okay, no big deal. I, I guess, like, I mean, I, we don't have to talk about my age at yeah. this stage. I guess <laughs> nobody really realized like how young I was. I think, um, but they were huge early backers of okay. digital media, um, and so I took the car and I, I said, I really want to do something fun with this. This, these are the days, again, before YouTube, right? Mm-hmm. Um, streaming internet video required a fast home internet connection, yeah, which a pervasive. lot of people didn't yeah, have. People right? didn't have it. It, was, yeah. it wasn't a thing. Um, but you know what? I said, we're going to do a video review of this car. I want to I try it. And so in a strip club parking lot right. on poster board with That crayon, helps with the, yeah. the views, by the way. Yeah, uh, yeah the strip Quick club bait. parking yeah. lot. Actually, no, it was during the day, so it wasn't anything scandalous. But we just it was the only place with hedges. There was hedges that were hiding the cars that were parked there. So <laughs> That looks like a nice place. What is this? Oh, it's a strip club. But we did we did crayons and poster board, cue cards for me, and I did you know a, a little bit of internet video, and uh, a company. I, I uploaded it to a website called Expo TV. This is the way way back in the in the day before any any of this existed. Um, they 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 had what was called video opinions on their website, where people were recording video reviews of things. This is commonplace to your listeners on, on podcasts now. They say, oh, well, anytime I buy anything, I go onto YouTube and I say, you know, how do I? Oh, is that somebody who entered the live stream? I think, Our yeah, bing? I think somebody just binged on the live stream. Howdy, glad you're that, here. Hopefully, they, oh, so, it probably came from our, I'm, I'm going to shut that off over there. But, uh, so no we'll worries. Out, but yeah. So anyway, so there were, um, we, this is way before anybody thought about internet video driving commerce. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I sent them the the upload, and they're like, "Well, this is really interesting. We've never had anybody review a car, you know, before. Tell you what, can we send you to the Dallas Auto Show? We're going to buy you a camera, and can mm-hmm. we send you to the Dallas Auto Show, and you can record it for us there?" Well, I said, "I'm going to the Dallas Auto Show." They're like, "We're going to send you a camera." So I came here and I recorded it all. Um, I kind of did it all myself, and I'm like, "Well, how was it?" And they're like, "That was awful." That was just the production quality was just it's exactly terrible. What you to hear. So we're gonna fly to New York, get you a camera crew of six, and you're going on national TV. Oh, okay. And at that point, um, you know, that'll solve that problem. That was this was something like okay, this is actually this is a real thing. We're onto something here. Yeah. Um, and I still remember I was walking through the Mazda stand with my you know this entourage, right? Just some little kid with an entourage walking through the Mazda stand. And some guy comes at me and he's like, well, hey, you know, let's schedule an interview for later because you've got a camera crew here and we'd love to talk to you about Moss. And I'm like, we've got the youngest lineup in the industry. And so we want to talk to you. I was giving him stuff zoom, at zoom, the time. You know. Right. I was giving him, I was ribbing him. I said, yeah, the youngest lineup except that B2200. How old is that thing? 20 years old. <laughs> he says, and getting better by the day. Just an affable, just awesome guy. I said, who are you, man? And he gives me his card and he's the VP of communication for Mazda. Oh my God, <laughs> of course. Um, and that was my career. I do like that B2200, by the way. Uh, it's no, so cool now. No, it's it is awesome. a cool car. It's it, it, one now, of those Jeremy round. is now uh, head of communication at Mitsubishi. So. Yeah. Tried to find uh, one with a stock stereo, but it was a sweet truck. A B2200? Did you yeah. have one? No, I didn't. But those in the Nissan hard bodies, yeah. all of my friends would put like the entire um, space behind the, the bench. 
was like six subs. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and they were putting competition systems in there. They were dropping them. Mini trucking, man. Uh, yeah, they were great. That's an amazing it, culture. It was that and the Nissan hard body. Uh, and who doesn't love those trucks? Yeah. The, the B2200 to have is the, uh, the Troy Lee Designs one that they did at the very Is that the last. earlier? Oh, the, the ones with a little bit more one. rounded edges? Yep. That okay. was the new gen Ranger that they did. And uh, Troy Lee Designs had special wheels and a graphics pack. You can still see it from a mile away. Today. Oh yeah, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> so, look that oh, cool. look that one up. But um, but yeah, that's that's kind of that's that's how the career started. And then just to to sort of shorten it up, because I don't want this to be about high mileage. I want it to be about you guys and cars and what you people are interested, in, like your your followers are interested in. But just to tighten it up, I mean, we went on to Twitter when nobody was on Twitter. There was a service called Utterly because Twitter couldn't you couldn't upload pictures to Twitter. That's how early we were. Okay. Um, and around 20, okay, so I graduated in 08. Um, it was around 2007, gas spiked to like $4 a gallon. I did a live webcast uh, of the congressional hearings in Washington uh, when we were deciding whether we were going to save the auto industry, which had one in 14 jobs connected to it. Uh, so I hosted a live drinking game on Speed Support Life, uh, which again, nobody had done this stuff before. Mm. This was unheard of. Uh, Jalopnik stole it um, and made a very unfunny version of it for their for their website. It was like totally not funny. And then uh, did then you go linked. on your own, or did you go like on behalf of a company or? Oh sponsored? no, I was watching C-SPAN and we did it. We did it live there in WordPress. Okay. By the way, I, if you've got any tech geeks in your in your ranks, in your audience. Matt Mullenweg, who started uh, WordPress, was actually my classmate at UH at the time. Oh, like, are you yeah, serious? I, I, he was, well, I complimented him on his him. laptop one day. I was like, yeah, yeah, that's a nice laptop. He said, yeah. And then all of a sudden, we were like, wait a second. This guy started WordPress. I think he quit like the next year to go work full time at CNET, and they let him just develop WordPress on his own time. It's oh, wow. Pretty nice. good. Or Ziff Davis. I don't remember exactly. Poor Matt. I'm sure he's too busy to listen to this podcast. But I was surrounded with some great people, um, and people who were willing to take a chance on this new medium. Microblogging was something, you know, that nobody had ever heard of. And so we did. I, I flipped on C-SPAN and, and I just covered, it was, it was real news coverage and, I, you know, I was using my journalism skills to cover the news while analyzing it for people. Um, but it was a scary time. And, you know, yeah. we really thought Chrysler was done. Yeah. Um, so, unfortunately, uh we lost our digital cable on demand channel at Expo TV. So my, what I thought for sure was going to be a career path to New York City wound up evaporating. Um, I had another iron in the fire um, at American Suzuki. Uh, they said that there was like a really promising career opportunity that they had, and that dried up uh, mm -hmm. because of the economic downturn. And so all of a sudden, you know, I graduated. I like I literally walked across the stage in a recession, and. Um, at some point, it was just like, well, you know what? It can't get any worse. I'm going to go to Detroit. And so I didn't know anybody. I just picked up. I packed up. I went uh, and started this Twitter campaign where, hey, I need a job. And I got a message from an agency that was handling some Mopar social media. And uh, my third week in, they, SRT became its own car brand. And yeah. I was okay. in control of social media for an entire car brand. Um, and that is, I think, you know, I'm always going to look back on that. It was awesome. And so, 
you know, the high mileage ethos of you and I, you and I, it was great because it was just all about us. It, we were such a great car family. And to this day, all across the U.S., Yeah, I well, no matter where I go, I've got SRT family. So yeah. it was good. I did that for three and a half years uh, and then missed Whataburger and H-E-B. And so now I'm back home. <laughs> but uh, it's been a, quite a journey. Yeah. yeah. It's been fun. Well, you know, I am. part of the thing that we want to talk about that I think our, our people would be interested in is just this kind of the a little bit of the behind the scenes when it comes to journalism and like what the press side of it looks like and mm. what that life is like in the sense of like we get to see all the people who the personalities that are on the front side of things right so sure. you'll have you know authors for jalopnik you may have motor trend who's doing their video stuff you'll have you know straight pipes throttle house all these guys that are are pushing content um but from a journalistic standpoint you know like your perspective on what what things look like when it comes to the car industry. And then even with, you know, you had mentioned something about having like an industry analysis piece of what you did. And then you said, you know, now you've kind of pivoted more towards a different direction that might be the permanent direction of where you go. Um, maybe telling us a little bit about that. It's not a really happy conversation to have. So I have to, I have to tread lightly and keep it, keep it light. Uh, I think, um, I think it's very apparent to everybody. We, we, we all know what's happening to automotive. We know that the hot stories now are uh, automation mm-hmm. and shared ride. And, you know, these car companies are now mobility companies. And you have the industry shelters like Ford producing fantastic mass market vehicles like the Fiesta, which are wonderfully integrated they handle well. They have a community behind them. It, they're, they're real vehicles at a price that people can afford, but now they're being cast by the wayside because gas is cheap and we're doing Profits are 84 month financing. And so we have $120,000 F350s instead of <laughs> Fiestas. You can put the Fiesta in the back of the F350. You <laughs> could, I guess, you know, which is, you know, I don't, I don't know that it's sustainable. I don't know that it's sustainable from. Uh, fuel standpoint, but just because I grew up in the economic crisis, everything was fine. I, you know, I was in a Corvette and then the next day, yeah, gas was $4 a gallon. Yeah. And, you know, I, well, I, that happened in recent memory. I mean, we had, we should know, we, we should, we yeah. should know, yeah, you know? but yeah. we don't. Yeah. And, and all, at the same time, you know, the automakers lineups were tremendously biased towards trucks. We had Hummers. Yeah. We didn't have, you know, there wasn't a Chevy Spark. There was a Hummer, you yeah. know, and uh, and it's as if the manufacturers uh, never learned any kind of lesson. Um, and so now, you know, we have trucks and SUVs that are in the the, the short term uh, business strategy, and then the long term business strategy is this unknown, you know, electrical or shared ride or automated. And I and I had yeah. a really profound thought actually last night. Um, because I was here in Arlington, um, and I went out to the PBR rodeo bar to go hang out, uh, do my cowboy thing. And uh, sitting there in Arlington with a parking lot full of Tahoes, I had this thought, and I'm like, what are we going to do when the Arlington plant shuts down? Because it's not sustainable, okay? With with GM pivoting towards this, this cruise automation and you know BEVs and 
they're putting all of their resources into, they're not making driver's cars anymore. They're making battery-operated self-driving vehicles, okay? And those are going to be made in one central location. But having the, the infrastructure that they have right now, all of these auto plants, it's not going to sustain a shared ownership model. It's not going to sustain... So I wonder what's going to happen. I think the GM plant in Arlington brings a tremendous amount of affluence to the community. These are really good middle-class jobs. These are union jobs that provide, as opposed to a non-union auto plant job where you're making 8 or $9 an hour with no benefits because you're a contract. These are union jobs that pay well and send kids to college. And I don't know what's going to happen to society. Uh, when that happens. So talk think, to me. Uh, go I, I'm going to say, I'm just yeah, going to talk. Yeah. I want to yeah. unpack that just for a minute because yeah. I think the future of cars is an interesting topic to, to think about, right? Mm. Like what is the future of motoring? Mm. I've in recent, uh, in recent history, just in the last, let's say year, mm. I've had the opportunity to talk to a lot of um, teenagers who are at the age where they're supposed to be considering getting their driver's license. Yep. Um, and it's just because we have kids who are, um, 10 and seven and so we have babysitters and it's like a revolving door of babysitters because they <laughs> they roll they go to college and then you need to find a new one um and so i found that there's this trend in kids who are turning 16 delaying getting their driving license yeah my nephew is one of them and i can't i honestly can say 100 percent of 15 and 16 year olds that i've talked to in the last year I've asked them, are you excited to get your driver's license? And no they've urgency. said, no, they don't yeah. get it. I was chomping at the bit to get yeah. my driver's license. Now, I grew up in New Jersey. You don't get your license until mm. you're 17. So I had oh. my permit at 16, and I could not wait for my 17th yeah. birthday because I was going to go get my license. Oh. I already had a car. I was in driving school the day after my yes. birthday. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. so, so, I mean, I yeah. think so to, was... to, to unpack like what are car manufacturers doing, moving to EVs and self-driving and rideshare and – um, and those types of things, is it just that they are keeping their finger on the pulse of the market and we are raising a generation of kids, like my kids, I've told my kids already, my, my son is 10, my daughter's seven, and I said, when you turn 16, you're not even gonna have a driver's license. You're not even gonna buy a car. You're not gonna need to because you're gonna summon a car on your app. Mm -hmm. It's gonna come get you and there's not gonna be, I'm not gonna be putting you in a car with a stranger like Uber. The car's just gonna take you where you wanna go and you're mm -hmm. gonna get out and when you're done, the car's gonna show up and it's gonna bring you home. So maybe these manufacturers are just kind of seeing the writing on the wall that that's inevitable. Like that culture is inevitable. That's what we're heading towards. And what we do like enthusiasts is going to become a novelty yeah. hobby right. like ham radio is now. Yes. Right. Like, and, and, uh, and I think that that's like, so our manufacturers, it, so I guess it's a chicken and egg conversation sure. Are manufacturers causing this, or is this cultural shift just going to happen and manufacturers are being, wanting to stay at the edge of, of what's going to happen anyway. Yeah, it feels we, like, because we, you know, when we talk about that, if you just look around while you're driving in traffic, the majority of people are not, it sounds bad, it's not, they're not like us in the sense of interest in driving, you know, wanting to feel connected to their cars. A lot of people, they get sucked right into, you know, buying a normal car and that's all they know. Yep. So they don't know what it feels like to yep. have an, you know, a fun car or a car they feel good about. But you see a lot of them um, on their phones. I've seen people eating spaghetti. I've seen people doing their makeup. There's the this new crop of people has so many other things that they prioritize over car ownership slash driving slash enjoying this and that. Mm -hmm. It's just an appliance for them to get to work or wherever they're going, and they would just 
just as easily have somebody do it for them if the economics worked out. And I got in my car one day, my wife's car one day on the weekend, and there was a straight up bowl of and a spoon in it with like a little <laughs> bit of milk and some Cheerios crumbs in the center console. Yep. Like, <laughs> don't mean to throw my wife under the bus. Oh my the gosh! Podcast, but That's I was talent, like, hey, actually, let's talk that's about, pretty good. Let's mm. talk about. Let's talk about. Uh, you know, keeping attention. But if he had given, <laughs> like, if he gave my wife the the um, option because she does a forty mile one way commute from Allen, which is North Dallas, into downtown Dallas, yeah, and. If she has, she goes in on off hours, but she'll return home on shoulder rush hour. Right, right. And it can take her about an hour 20. And I can tell you, she if she had the option of a car that did that traffic commute by itself, she'd take it every day. Sure. Right. So th- that's the interesting quandary is like, okay, wait, are they, you know, are they misreading the market or are we misreading the market because we're in our bubble of enthusiasts that love cars and Or, and or is that. the technology creating the demand, right? Because yeah. we live in a world where technology creates demand. You know, in 2004 or five, none of us would have thought that we would have this in our pocket. I mean, maybe certain people knew it was coming, but the fact that this existed, it then created our need for it. So I wonder if like these companies that are creating self-driving and and the ride share and the the co-ownership kind of models are not doing so because there's a demand, a demand, but the fact that those things are starting to exist is creating the demand issue, and that's shifting the culture. Yeah, and like my perception of, okay, so this is where we love your input a little bit. From the automotive journalism perspective, we kind of see them as like brethren, you know, and brothers and sisters that love cars just as much as we do, so much so that they're willing to make a career out of it. So from your perspective, do you see that in the journal, the journalism world that they're looking at it the same way? Like, oh my God, this is doomsday. All the cars we like are the, our sense of driving and all autonomy is all going away. Or do you have, you know, a significant faction of people that look at it from the outside and say, you know what? We got to look at this from a, a macro perspective. Here's what's trending in society in general. Does it line up with where the auto manufacturers hmm. are going? I think very few voices are going to look at it critically and give you an analytical uh, perspective. Uh, I think part of being an authentic journalist is really just reporting what you see. Okay. Um, but the lines between content marketing and activism and journalism have very much faded uh, since print journalism died. <laughs> um, and you know, you'd be hard pressed to find somebody with a journalism degree, quote unquote, you know, in the field of auto journalism, I think. Um, so, so, I mean, it's gonna, it's gonna run the gamut. I, I can't really co- comment too much on my colleagues. And to be honest, I stay in my own lane. Um, I, I, try, I tend not to read a lot of automotive media okay. uh, because I don't want it to influence my analysis of, gotcha. of what the industry is, is going through. Uh, but but look, I mean, we in, in, in that sort of activism phase, when I moved to, to Detroit, it was to save automotive. It was to save, you know, the, 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 the human driven car. It's clear that if you build an engaging vehicle, people are going to be engaged in driving. Of course, they're texting and driving. They're in a Sentra, right? Like if you build a <laughs> terrible car that yeah. makes you wish that you were anywhere else, but something ho hum, you know. Or and I think that's what terrible really means. Now we don't have, you know, we don't have 
Mercury topazes anymore. We have, yeah. you know, just vehicles that don't that are not engaging. And if you don't build an, an engaging vehicle, then you lose an entire generation of people who never learned that driving is something that they should enjoy and that they can get a rush out of. Um, and with the death of the manual transmission, I think that you know that adds to it. Do you Technology. feel like? Do you feel like auto manufacturers do not build as many engaging oh, vehicles? Oh no, one hundred percent. There are like maybe four or five engaging vehicles really? on the market right now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, First, okay. Define, define extreme, the engagement for an extremist like me. So one of my clients right now is the Manual Gearbox Preservation Society. I met Alan uh, when I was working at SRT. Interesting sidebar. He designed the Viper GTS race car. Yeah, Viper GTSR. He doesn't talk about that enough. I want him to start talking about it. <laughs> Alan's super cool. He's, he should be sitting in the seat. Um, but, you know, I think maybe even Alan is not as militantly pro-manual transmission as I am. Mm -hmm. No clutch, no care. That's my MO. Okay. If I, that's the cost I'm glad I brought entry. the R33 today. Right, there you go. Yeah. I have an R35 at home. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, so that's, a, that's his face. Yeah. For the podcast well, listeners, he's like, oh, he's like, oh, I'm you're so cute. Shame. You're cute. Uh, well, yeah. That's no, I mean, right. I have a very readable face, I guess. <laughs> no, I mean, I uh, had some friends with a performance shop, uh, and they do very, very high horsepower R35s. In the Houston we area? Nope. We don't need to oh. necessarily mention names. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, no, not definitely not in the Houston area, though. Uh, like, internationally known. Um, and I think I offended them because I went to visit, and I brushed right past, like, every R35. I was, like, totally disinterested, and they had, like, an old DSM there. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, what's this thing? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. That yeah, hunk of junk, like, this has yeah. yeah. got 2,000 horsepower. I'm like, yeah, my mom could drive it. Like, why do I? It does it itself. Right. It's a robot. Right. Like, there's no... There's no feel. There's no feel. And I think that's the coolest thing about the R33 is that there is no pretense about it at all. Right. It is like a parts bin interior from a Maxima, which is Nirvana, automotive Nirvana. <laughs> it is like, it is no. Um, but but I don't want to get too far off topic no, 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 here. No, I want no, to it's, I it's circle a good back to what you were saying. Um, I, I think the, the manufacturers um, are, are serving the desires of the current market. There is no saving automotive anymore. There's no saving the manual transmission there is no convincing ford that they need to continue building drivers cars instead of you know or or general motors for that example or they're just going after they, the, the money they, well where yeah, the, where's the market the where's the money right. yeah well and in the case of gm it's complicated it's not just about money there's no money in this self-driving car shared ownership crap but there is but it's attractive to the shareholders who wish that they had amazon or wish that they had Google stock or wish that they were Netflix stock owners, but they have GM. So everybody wants to be a mobility company and, a, and an Uber. Everybody wants to be something trendy, and that's how you get headlines. Yeah. It's not based in the product. And now Ford Ford builds fantastic product to this day. Mm -hmm. I think that you know the trucks that they are building, obviously, they are superlative. Yeah. Um, but as an auto journalist and somebody who's worried about people who are actually buying cars, I have big concerns that... We're building only CUVs now, no cars, uh, and inherently there is an inherent weight and drag coefficient disadvantage for CUVs. So I don't care how much, how efficient you make a CUV, a sedan version would be more efficient than that. And there's price margin in it. These these CUVs sell for right. more. That's what I meant about. But it's not a big deal because the customers are getting the payment, right? We can finance it for 84 months. There is not an auto journalist, a real journalist in the country who who should not be calling this out for the disaster that it is. 
because we're setting ourselves up for the same recession that I saw in 2007, where the man, the manufacturer lineups are all trucks that's truck heavy. People are in these trucks. They're financed. They're, they're way over their head for vehicles that they can't afford. They can't even afford to fuel them. And now all of a sudden they're out of warranty. Yeah. yeah. It's if you're not good. if you're doing it for 84 months, you're doing it wrong. That's like, it. That's horrible. Okay. Yeah. And so there was a, a former auto journalist who now sells vehicles who tweeted at me the other day and he said or sent me the Facebook note or something. He said, "Hey man, you know like yeah, don't hate the player, hate the game. Like I have customers who walk out the door now if they it, when I put 60 month financing. Well, guess what? They need to be walking out that door because mm-hmm. if you can't afford a car without 60 without without 84 month financing, you don't need to be in a new car. Right. You mm-hmm. know, and and I think that feeds into your point earlier. Uh, for these teenagers who, you know, maybe are disinterested in their license. I, I don't know much about kids, but I imagine that their nihilism is even worse than ours. Look at the world that they've grown up in. And what we're finding is for people my age who are quote unquote millennial, but I'm 33 years old, is that, you know, do we have an interest in new vehicles? Maybe if something compelling is out there, but do I trust myself to be solvent for five years? Right. That's a big question. You know, yeah. home ownership is something that was taken away from people yeah. my age. Yeah. Most ki- most people. Oh yeah, I'm gonna have a tiny home someday. That's mm-hmm. the new American dream, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So so or, I think or a condo or an apartment. Yeah, you just kind of go with that. It's it's interesting because it, it all feeds in. I think yeah. these are bigger conversations. The automotive touches every part of the world, uh, and as auto I- enthusiasts, you know, I I think. I believe very much in auto ex- exceptionalism. I call it automotive exceptionalism. If you're a car guy, I can trust you to do your best job in whatever you work in. I know that car guys are special and car guys do good work. But, you know, I, I, I really, I think we need to start flexing that muscle a little bit more and start really, you know, taking inventory of the world around us and not standing for some things that are giving us a shorter end of the stick. Yeah. If all, for the only reason that it's going to impact the cars that we drive in the way that we drive in the future. I guess the way that I look at it, maybe I'm a little bit more moderate in that sense. I love driving a five or six speed just as much as anybody else. And I love, I'm a sucker for V8s. That's that's just where my heart is. But, you know, I look at the the market today and I kind of see that there, there are a lot of engaging cars out there. They may not be as analog as they used mm-hmm, to be. Mm, that's a good um, way to put it. But they're engaging in different ways. Like, you know, if I drive, so if I drive an R35, it's engaging in a different way than like a Challenger Hellcat is different than my RX-7, which is different from your car, right? Yeah, Miata. But in their own right, um, what seems to be happening is car manufacturers reserve those cars for like trim levels. Mm-hmm. It's not the base car mm-hmm. no longer is the engaging car to drive. The en- mm-hmm. the base car is kind of the appliance. And you'll see that with Mercedes. You'll see it with Audi. You'll see it with BMW. We saw you'll this see happening. it with that, right? We saw this happening in, 2000. in 2001 when Honda put McPherson struts in the Civic. Honda was dead to me. And people were like, oh, come on. We still have an SI. Well, exactly. You you hit it exactly right. Every Honda in two thousand before two thousand one. I don't care if it was your grandmother's Civic, it's fun to drive, or your mother's yeah. Odyssey. They all had four wheel double wishbone suspension. And, and it's you can the feel same it. suspension that's yeah. in an F one car. Yeah. it matters. Yeah, it matters. It does matter. And when you stop taking when you when you when you when you start taking out this ethos of, well, well, 
we need to build something that's overbuilt. I don't care whether the owner uses it or not. I don't care if this grandma who buys this Civic is ever going to notice, you know, that it corners flat and the tire patch stays flat. When you stop including that in your engineering, well, then you can cut a little more from the way the dash textures look. Mm -hmm. You can cut a little more from transmission shift development. You can cut a little more from the value that you get. And then you wind up with a 2011 Civic. Yeah, which was a huge wake-up call. Yeah, you know, for Honda, for Honda because they sure. kept. For, but does most of their lineup actually at that point? But exactly, exactly. Well, yeah. and now, okay, well now they're actually building the new Accord. Is yeah. a, gen- it's legit. It's a genuinely yeah. engaging car. Yeah, but you have people like me who are so disgusted with where Honda. And I'm, there were six or eight Hondas in my family. I had two. I it would take me it would take me a while I think to to put a Honda in my car. My next car is going to be a Honda Beat. Right, yeah. like, but even an S six sixty, I just think it tarnishes the 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 brand uh, when you have not just the suspension is the wrong suspension, but when the ethos is so cheap, when you're parked next to a twenty eleven Civic that was so disengaging that not only is the driver texting and driving and leaving their spaghetti bowls in the passenger seat and not cleaning off the bird crap from you know their car, but they're just you know they're treating the car like crap and it, it just. Yeah, because they don't care about it, and that impacts the cachet of the brand all, oh, totally all together. I feel the I mean, same way about the Mercedes. Porsche Cayenne. Yeah, yeah. Is the Mercedes still special? I don't. I don't know that Mercedes fell as hard as Porsche. They did in the early two thousands, like when they brought out those the like their S class that was really cheap. The C class, yeah, C two thirty hatches, this, yeah. that, and the other. Yep. It. it took a pretty big hit and you could tell the quality went from tank which is what you're talking about overbuilt sure. overengineered to like built for a nickel and well i yeah. saw a, a commercial touting the new a class the other day and it touted a deal you know it said from 32 and 440 or whatever it is and i'm over here as a marketer just yeah. like that's not hiding my want. face <laughs> how humiliating like yeah. how are you going to is that what Mercedes is now? We're marketing to price points. So you have a lot of people who inherited the business. They know that mobility is what sounds cool. And, you know, they're, it's really, I think it bodes badly for the entire industry. So to your question earlier of where are we going? What is the future of cars? You, you hit it right on the head. We're dovetailing, right? There's going to be two very distinct futures. One is going to be the OEM automotive side. And they're going to build self-driving, you know, cars with varying degrees of engagement, depending on how you can empty your pocketbook. Or you're going to shelter in the past and look to SEMA and the SCCA, organizations like Radwood and the Manual Gearbox Preservation Society, Motorvice Show, to be a shelter for enthusiasts. And that's what you're going to have. You're going to have the niche hobby where all the good cars are that were made, you know, in a in a previous era, and then new vehicles which are mobility pods, and you know maybe some of them will be flashy, you know, pay to play hyper cars. I my interest in the McLaren Senna is n- in the negatives. Yeah, so, I'm not. He's with me. I'm just not <laughs> yeah. that interested. But I guess the question I, do, yeah. I have for both of you, and yeah. Steve, you can answer first. It, isn't that okay though? Isn't it okay for people that are not interested in driving to get the appliance, but then we get to have our community of people who are really into driving, and maybe we have to shop for a subset of cars. Maybe we have to buy used because we mm-hmm. can't afford it. You know, one hundred fifty thousand. Is that isn't that okay? I think it's okay for us because in our lifetime, we're not going to see the hand-driven vehicle disappear or be made illegal mm-hmm. or be rectified to racetracks only. Mm-hmm. Our kids 
yes. will probably live to see the cars that dad drove that you had to put gas in and that you to had to drive the steering wheel and you didn't just like say, Alexa, take <laughs> me to work or whatever. Yeah. Those in our kids' lifetime, I think the cars that we love will be relegated to not street legal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I really sure. think it'll go that fast. Sure. And so okay. when, when, and our grandkids will, will look at pictures and old home movies. Oh, that um, looks cool. Kind of like, like oh, we look at was, Chevelle's. Or, like, or, or kind of like cool. we look at like horse and carriage, right? Yeah, like really the, the hand-driven okay. car will become a novelty in our kids' lifetime and a distant memory in our grandkids' lifetime. Mm-hmm. So I think yeah. we're, I think we're good. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, honestly. And so is that, is that a bad thing? Cause going back to what I said about teenagers, I know who couldn't care less. Listen, I wanted to get my driver's license at 17 because my world was outside my home. Yeah. Inside my home was my parents and my sister. And my Nintendo, yeah. and or my PS One, right, um, outside and and to date myself, we're talking about 1994. Outside my home was my world. My friends were not. I had no access to my friends. Had no access to social anything. Today, kids' whole world is right here. Mm-hmm. So what do they need a car for? If I want to go They're socialize with already. my friends, I'm already doing it. I'm doing it 24 seven. I don't need to leave where I'm at at any moment to go anywhere else. Unless it's like to a roll a bowling ball or, or see a, a movie in a movie theater, which nobody even does anymore. Like, yeah. so so I can understand why kids who are 17, 16, 15 now don't care about getting their license because what do they need it for? And then there's this added dimension of those kids that do like it. Maybe they like the performance. Maybe they like the cool looking cars. You have cars coming on now that use electrification and this and that to enhance yeah. the performance call, rather yeah. than just be the rolling appliance that it is. Yeah. So. I mean, I totally understand that. So maybe it is in our generation and it huh. is the generation after that's kind of like cars are kind of dumb anyway. I don't know why people. Yeah. You know, for us, a, it was a necessity. And so for the people like us who grew up with it as a necessity, it also became a hobby because it just put it ticked the right boxes mm-hmm. in terms of adrenaline rush and um, aesthetic design and mod- you know personalization and expressing yourself and engineering the, the combination the overlay of art and engineering which we all kind of are gravitating towards yeah for us it checked all those boxes but we we gained access to it because it was a necessity for these kids there's still kids coming up who are young who love cars right mm-hmm. like that is not going to change in our lifetime um, and they love it for all of those reasons but the kids who might have loved it because being exposed to it out of necessity are no longer being exposed to it out of necessity. So that's never blooming in them, right? So it's just like, I think we're just going to see a constant decline and automotive as a hobby is just going to become more and more niche. Whereas, you know, even, gosh, like before our time in our parents' generation, it was even more of a thing like drive-in movies, drive-in restaurants, drive-in everything. Like cars were a huge part of that. It was your statement. It was, was and we didn't even have to that level, right? Like, so it it was declining in our generation, even like with the advent of television and and fast food and these other things. Mm -hmm. I I would, I would agree with all of that. And I would just say my concerns going forward for the hobbification of automotive are just a hobbification. Well, we need something like that. I think this, this conversation is great because we're arriving at, you know, for me, I've had a great understanding of where this is all headed, you know, for years. But now that we're a little bit closer, it's a little bit in sharper focus, and I've sort of accepted that we're not going to be able to save what once was. We can kind of, you know, kind of taxonify, you know, this this stuff. So I really like hobbification of of, of our of, of of our lifestyle, really. 
because this wasn't a hobby for us. This was our whole lives. And now, and it was, it was, it, it, everybody had to experience going to the gas station. Everybody had to buy a car, whether you were into it or not. Yeah. But now it's going to be a hobby now. And so, yeah. and so I think my concerns for the hobbification of our, of our lifestyle, um, are going to be economies of scale. Okay, we're not going to be able to fuel our vehicles the same way right. because sure. nobody's going to be fueling, uh, as and and we're going to lose insurance. Um, I think uh, insurance is going to get really complex. Right now, we're able to insure our vehicles because yeah. everybody has to have insurance. As soon as you uh, take the human driver out of the equation, and the insurance lobby they don't has want it on paper, of course yeah, they not. Don't want to give and so we're gonna. So I think you know the SEMA Action Network is really important. Uh, it's something that your listeners should look up and uh, start take part. Uh, start taking part in. Um, and the SCCA, I think, is going to be an advocacy uh, wing for us. It's going to evolve. AAA, I'm hoping that they will too. Uh, these are organizations that we've taken for granted and I think are mm -hmm. going to enter an advocacy role when we can't find fuel or insurance for our cars. Uh, and, it, and eventually, I don't know whether it's going to be in our lifetime or not. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be relegated. It's too dangerous to drive on the road. It's too dangerous when a computer can, can, you know, do it with a certain degree of accuracy. Yeah. Whatever that threshold is, the insurance company is yeah. going to put it on paper. They have a lobby, they're going to yeah. make a law. And we're going to be relegated to racetracks. That's why Porsche was buying a bunch of racetracks around the world for a little while. I think you know, everybody sees that. Um, so, so maybe just to 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 switch gears a little bit into something a little bit happier. with our own hands and feet. Right. With my at least in my case, um, I, I think it's the Dallas Auto Show um, is coming up, and at Dallas Auto Show, I. I'm covering new vehicles, you know, still. It, it, you know, high mileage has always been about covering new vehicles in historical context. But now I very much see that the real stories that are of interest to the audience that I've curated and the brain trust that I, that I trust in, it, they're, they're all classic cars, right? Like there's not a lot for us at the Dallas Auto Show. But that said, it doesn't mean there's nothing, okay? Yeah. So Jeep uh, is going to be bringing their Gladiator. Yeah, pickup. yeah, yeah. This Saw is that. something that has mass appeal, right? Like you yeah. can have somebody who's not into cars, but they love their Jeep. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And they aspire to own a Jeep. And it crosses everything. It crosses yeah. socioeconomic. <laughs> it crosses profession. Yeah. It doesn't matter what side of the tracks you grew up on. Jeeps are cool. Now, why do you think that is? I have I have a theory. So you take the top down. Because Alicia Silverstone drove one in Clueless. That's why. I, you know what I think it is? And we so our last two episodes, actually, our episode that, that came out today is the second part of a series that we did on overlanding. Overlanding. overlanding yeah. And you know, that's a yeah, huge, yeah. like, it's a burgeoning kind of subsegment of car enthusiasm. Like, over the last, I'd it's say, two or three. It's highly Instagrammable. That's why. It, well. <laughs> Well, and I think, but also like, let's cross reference that back with what I said about, um, necessity of getting out there, right? Yes. Like f with, with a Jeep, you can't get to the places a Jeep can go on your phone with an app, right? If you want to get that experience of unplugging and disconnecting, you need a vehicle that can get you out off the grid. And so I think that's why we're seeing this resurgence or this popularity of overlanding. And you're seeing like rooftop tents on every forerunner and Jeep right. out there now. Or a Porsche 911 in the yeah. case. I <laughs> love that, by the way. That was Come on. I actually started looking at it because it, the way that I live, he says, he's like, where are you based? I'm like, oh, my God, can we not ask this question? Like, 
I don't know how to answer that. And so I was looking at that tent as like an actual viable, yeah. like livable, like, like can I, This would this make more economic sense than just hotel hopping from yeah, city so to city? For listeners, uh, probably the most Instagrammed vehicle oh, at yes, Radwood, sure. was, af- apart from um, some of the supercars, the F40, the F40 right, and the, right. the 959 and those, was the, the 911 with a rooftop tent. The Overland 911. I, yeah. I don't know the name of it. It starts with a T, but there's a tent company. And the tent on it was something like five or six thousand dollars. Yeah. So. So, yeah. but I think I think the reason why we're seeing the popularity of, of off roading and overlanding and this this idea of I want to modify a four wheel drive vehicle to be able to live in off the grid for a weekend or a week or however long, it might be because it's the it's the new expression of being able to go someplace in a vehicle that I can't go otherwise. Like yeah. for, for me, like I said before, I couldn't go out with my friends unless I had a car when I was 17. I can do that today on my phone, but I can't go out to nature or disconnect or unplug or have a different experience. We should try that sometime. Get a lift out to uh, Ozarks, to the Ozarks. Oh, yeah. be like, hey, can you uh, can you drop me off over yeah. here? <laughs> oh, <laughs> but I really think will, there's, I think there's something to it, and I think that's kind of the last hurrah for the vehicle. Maybe is is this idea of the one place that I the one experience that I can have with people or by myself that I can't have in my bubble is to get out of the bubble, and I need something with a tent on top that I can live in. And well, has, but does that support the, this idea of hobbification that we're talking about? Because like, if no, I, I think had it's a one, little bit different than it's that, a bridge. But it's similar. It's a bridge, yeah. which is so talk awesome. to me. It's about like that. a Venn diagram. So I okay. think it, the first the first thing I need to do is clarify that just because I worked at Chrysler doesn't mean that I had any kind of special affinity for them. In fact, when I was at SRT, all of our cars were automatic except for the Challenger and the Viper. So, you know, it was, it was, I was definitely not coming down on the side of them just because they were my employer. That said, God bless Jeep. Yeah. God bless them for doing And even, doing, honestly, they, the SRT. And all of Chrysler. Yeah. Because they bring it back. Bad asses. Yeah. And maybe it's because they don't have an electrification strategy in the wings. <laughs> and maybe it's because they don't have a ride hailing strategy in the wings. Doesn't yeah. matter. They're just yeah. like, you know what? We're going to throw a supercharger on it. We're going to yep. paint it hot pink. Yeah. And we're going to, you know, yeah. lift it. Take and it as it a sedan. Offer, take it as a coupe. Great. Yeah. And, and their, their ads, I, we could do an entire episode on car ads and having a marketing brain trust in here. Gosh, I hope you'll have me back and maybe we can do that. But yeah. right now, automotive ads uh, specialize in the stock and trade of making drivers look like complete idiots. Oh my gosh, it stopped for me. Like, oh, yeah, oh yeah. and it's every single auto ad. You can't tell whether it's a Subaru ad, whether it's an Audi ad. Yeah, you can't tell Nissan, the cars. Because you apart. can't even tell the cars apart yeah. because all it is is a stock interior shot of somebody picking their nose and then all of a sudden the car stops itself because they were about to run over a bus yeah. full of nuns. You know what? The Jeep ads are about wanderlust and getting out. And I can tell you, you know, as as a kid who, you know, I was reading at a very early age and I was reading. We all know that you were a sophomore in college. Yeah, I I got done in college by 19. No, no. Oh, no, no, no. By no means am I a straight A student. Oh, I took, I took, trust me, I took my party year in college and. Uh, I I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Like the son no, my parents no. want. <laughs> no, no. I was reading it in early age, and I think you know all I cared about was automotive. So I'm not well read at all. I I mean I can tell you what month Automobile Magazine took a Honda Beat across the country, 
but I, James Joyce's A Portrait of the Artist is like the worst book I've ever read. And as an English double major, it was like my professor freaked out when I said that. Can't stand literature, but you know, as you're a wide-eyed child, reading the ad copy and, and really kind of believing in it, the Isuzu ads especially were just about this aching wanderlust. And I have to not get choked up on your podcast because I'm that's crazy. But just this, the, the tone of the ads was very much there's a whole world out there and you need to go because if you don't, it's not going to be there one day. And it's just mm. this, oh shit, I better like, I better I go. go. Like I better get <laughs> out. Like, let me just leave. And one of the best things I ever did when I was at SRT was an eight day, 4,000 mile road trip across the American Southwest in a Grand Cherokee SRT. Let me tell you in New Mexico, just chasing the sun just for days and days at a time. We got back to the cubicle and it was like, oh my God, we need to leave. We need to get out of here. Like, I don't care. Just get keys to something and let's just go to the <laughs> Upper Peninsula. Let's just go. This this aching, aching wanderlust is what we need to have in car ads to make people want to get out there and say, you know what? I need a Jeep. I need. Yeah. And, and when they get to the Jeep dealer, they're getting it in exciting colors. Yeah. They're getting it with a world-class powertrain. They're getting it available with a manual transmission. I don't care. If you never use that Jeep, if all it does is go down to Grapevine Mills and maybe hop a curb, that is a that is an overbuilt vehicle. And God bless Chrysler for doing it. Nobody yeah. in automotive is doing it. Yeah. And you um, can order it in right-hand drive. Which yeah, I'm a fan which of. is awesome. And and the uh, not to mention the aftermarket for Jeep is just incredibly rich. It may be among the best supported vehicles in aftermarket that exists. All of Summit Racing. I just visited Summit Racing down the yeah. street here. Yeah, yeah, in the, Arlington. And, and uh, it's all trucks now. Oh my goodness, yeah. that's where the money is. Yeah, it's SEMA is to a truck show. Uh, an agency that I worked for. I'm a color PR they're all doing truck stuff now I mean that's the reality but it's an enthusiast vehicle and I'm I'm okay with it it's good um and so I'm going to be looking for those stories at the Dallas Auto Show um Hyundai has this end line it's a no compromise in a in a in yeah. a world where we're trying to squeeze as much margin as possible out of every vehicle and we're going to finance them for forever to put people in it Hyundai's like you know what we need a race car let's build a let's build a a race car version of our three-door hatchback. Are you kidding? Like, I guess that's the, amazing. That's what I see though in like a lot of manufacturers though. So like if you have a Shelby GT350, which is like a no apology, you're not buying that for practicality. It's a it's a special trim or line of a car. You see, um, you know, like some like the M cars made. The new one is down. automatic There's, only, by the way. The new GT350 or the 500? The new 500 is automatic only, yeah. and we're talking about electrifying the car. Automatic and, or double clutch. Whatever. No uh, they're, they're actually going <laughs> no back to automatics pedal. now. They're kind of giving up on the be. DC thing. DCT is terrible. Yeah. DCs so, aren't good for anyone. But you see like different manufacturers build these lines of their cars, which are very engaging and enthusiastic, you know, enthusiast oriented. Um, but, but the base car the is base not. car is just the base, the base car, car is not. Right? well i mean again like, it's the honda parable right i mean it, it, the honda fit the first honda fit was a phenomenal vehicle yeah it was and a good car it, it was so fun that's a great car yeah so i remember at the first at the first texas auto rider spring roundup that that i attended and uh, maybe i think i had just turned 21 they threw me the keys to ford gt a viper a gt500 there was a vet there uh, and the cars that I drove hardest were the Honda Fit. I drove the, oh, we're live, I forget. I drove that car very, very, very hard. <laughs> yeah. um, and I rang it 
out yeah. of that car. But you could. Oh, yeah. Because it, it wasn't. But, like, I guess the thing, for me, the cross-section here where you kind of capture the imagination of a generation and get them to take action is give me something like a, a Honda Fit. It's like fun to drive if you give it a chance, but most people don't give it a chance because the way it looks, right? Like if you're a young person and you see a fit, you're like, eh, that's you know, the it first just looks gen like a fit, by the way. Yeah, no, not that's the, what not I mean. The new one, so, but then there are there are these cars that are successes because they kind of they give you the engaging feel, um, whether it's through a standard transmission, whether it's through the suspension, but then they look good and they're attainable, like. I can actually go out and get one. Well, we have Mazda and Hyundai right mm-hmm. now, yeah. and that's about it. Uh, we have, and Ford, then it's the used market, but right? Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's yeah. the used market. So, so again, I mean, that's kind of why, you know, as a new as a, as a, as a new car auto journalist, it's just slim pickings now, and I, I don't take but, very many new vehicles. But like to even like anymore. what we discovered, like with the Jeep, right? Um, you have that with a Mustang, you can have that with a Challenger, you can have that. Those with, are old chassis though. Uh, and they the are outgoing Mustang, the outgoing Challenger. Challenger's not going to be around forever. That's not a new burgeoning story no, for enthusiasts. Understood. You know what I mean? But you know, like even with the teenage guys that I talk to, that's what they respond to. For yeah. some reason, they don't respond to like, I mean, it's age. Like they don't respond to like guys like us that want a sophisticated package at a little bit higher price point SS. that does everything, right? right? Yeah. Um, but you ask them what's like their favorite car and seven times out of 10, it's going to be Mustang, Mustang. Camaro, Challenger, yeah, Challenger. Da, 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 because it evokes something. And yeah, they can't afford it now, but they can see themselves getting into one a little bit later. Well, and I think as well, you're talking about younger guys. So they have a lack of experience with different types of cars and they don't have the not like they don't want to think about what do I, why do I like what I like? Right. right? Like they just want, I want the loud noises. Right. I want to be able to do yeah. smoky burnouts and I want to, you <laughs> and know, who doesn't? Yeah. Right. I, and there's nothing wrong yeah. with that. I mean, I was like one of the first, uh, the second car I bought, the first car I bought was because it was 600 bucks and it got me out of the house. Mm-hmm. But the, but <laughs> as soon as I had money to buy the car that I wanted to buy, I bought a Camaro, right? Yeah. Like, because not just because I'm a, a jer- guy from Jersey, but because like I wanted a Camaro. It was the same reason. I didn't yeah. know that my, you know, two or three cars down the road, I'd be driving Your a first gen MR2 and I'd keep that car for four years yeah. and it would like define my taste in sports cars, right? Yeah. So um, but it got you in. But it got me. The, the Camaro point. was like the gateway yeah. drug. Yeah, I literally and, know three people from New Jersey, and apparently everybody has a Camaro. So oh, it's, yeah. it's you, it's Alex, and it's David. It's the official, it's the, the state car of Jersey teenage guys <laughs> who live near awesome. the beach. Yeah. That's yeah. great. Why not, that, that and like we talked about the Raptor in the last episode. Oh, yeah. Like it was just another <laughs> engaging truck. It is. A, you and know. it doesn't have a manual transmission. It might be my yeah. exception. That is a badass rig. Yeah. And it wasn't developed out of cynicism. It was developed. It was unapologetic. To be in need, right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, it's just man. that's what I like. And that's what I'm finding I like is I like uh, brands that are unapologetic, which is why I like Porsche as much as I like Dodge as much as I like Jeep, because they're unapologetic in what they offer. Uh, this this came in or what is it, Cayenne Coupe? It's a mess. Porsche's been completely. Oh yeah, I just heard about the Cayenne Coupe. But here's here's kind of the thing behind it though, is there is rationale to me behind this idea of selling those kind of cars to people to fund the cars nah, that we want to keep that's alive. That's a cheap excuse. That's a cheap excuse. I don't know. Because no. like, you look at, I look at how many Aston people Martin buy. never had to do it. Yeah, but Aston Martin got a lot of help. Aston Martin's not solvent. Okay, Lotus never had to do it. <laughs> Lotus is not solvent. That's fine. So great. So Porsche is the most 
profitable car company yeah. in the world. And, you know, we can go out to this shopping center. Right now, they've got daddy's purse now, there. too. It's, I mean, they got VW backing them, too. But It's used 2002 Cayennes V6s in that mint green color with the clear coat peeling off. And, you know, that's all they are. And it's on every corner. You buy here, pay here lot. And that's like the banner, the banner. Oh, I've got a fancy Porsche now. That... That is what I think of when I think of a Porsche now. I don't think of even the front engine Porsches that I, I love. Think the of 944. The GT3 RS. Yeah, that's what I. I still. I <laughs> Their think 911 of 911. Game is strong, 911 yeah. and when Cayman last game. Time I saw a GT3 RS. I, I couldn't really tell you, but the last time I saw a clapped out Cayenne was at two o'clock today. Yeah, well, I, no, that's so, true. That's true. It's it, but it but and we have really the benefit dilutes. of like floating we around the, the North Dallas like area where we live. We see. Yeah. I, I see GT3s, yeah, GT2s, I don't and see like clapped out Cayennes all the time. My, and you're right, Most that could be just a shirt. Most of them are too expensive to maintain now, so they're, they're <laughs> right. finally that problem is solving itself. Yeah. But my point is, is still, it's doing nothing for their brand in the long term. And everybody said, oh, you know, it's it's to finance the racing program, to finance to finance what car that you can buy that doesn't have a PDK. The good Porsche doesn't need the money behind. The good Porsche is the Cayman, right? Everybody loves the Cayman. That's the manual transmission. I do like that car a lot, I, except for the ones. four banger now. I like the way it drives yeah. in terms of how fast it goes. Beautiful but interior. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really it. well done. Funny yeah. story about the New York Auto Show, by the way, when I had this camera crew. Oh my god, poor Porsche. They're never going to talk to me again. But who was? I was doing an on camera about the Cayman when it first came out, and. I, You're talking about the Cayman or the 718? The the Cayman, the very first the Cayman. The first one, this okay, 06. Yeah, yeah, this was a very long time ago. So we're, we're doing it, I just, I'm getting, what was it? The, there was a PR guy who had worked somewhere else before. We'd had a really awkward conversation. I had done an honest review on a vehicle. It wasn't even his vehicle, and he's like, you know, you're really going to upset the manufacturers when you yeah. when you compare two vehicles head to head. Why don't you just compare a vehicle without context? I'm like, wow, we don't live in a vacuum. And also, you're not going to tell me how to review vehicles. So he left that manufacturer and went back to Porsche. Yeah. And I didn't realize that until like in the middle of the interview. So he kind of walks up when we're talking, you know, having this polite conversation about the Cayman. And I, 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 I quipped oh my goodness, like, well, let's, let's, let's pop the hood. Let's take a look. And at that moment when I said that, I was kind of like, oh God, you can't see the engine. Like pop the hood. And the PR dude looked like he wanted to kill me when I was like, let's pop the hood and we're rolling, you know, I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I forgot. Like, you can't really see anything. Can you? And the camera guy is like, oh, that's that's weird. I was like, yeah, you have to drop the engine to to change the spark plugs. And he's like, that's outrageous. And like all of a sudden, there you like, go. <laughs> there we go. People were like, oh my god, who yeah. is this guy? But no, I mean, I I think that's a purist car, and that is profitable. Mm-hmm. And the way Porsche does their special editions, they have plenty of avenues of making profit, other than advertising the lease deal on the side of 410 in San Antonio where it says, buy a Panamera, $390 a month or whatever lease deal it is. That's embarrassing. Yeah. And it, you know, it doesn't I, do anything I like for looking at Mazda GT. for the model, right? Like the Miata comes in plenty of different flavors. Um, and it's, it is a halo car in the sense that it does give an aura of performance and sure. sportiness, but it's also incredibly accessible, incredibly yep. highly mass produced, incredibly engaging to drive. And it's special. And yeah. you see one and it's like, 
I mean, it's still that small two-seat rear-wheel drive yeah. available with a manual transmission, and it it symbolizes kind of like the original cla- days of classic sports motoring, mm-hmm. right? And it still exists. It's still successful. And you're the whole lineup, yeah. though, at Mazda. To your point, yeah, I'm all about get Mazda into a right Mazda now. two. You have to go to Mexico now to to do it. Yeah, get into a Mazda two. In fact. I saw the sedan version of the Mazda 2, which is the Scion, what is it, or is it Toyota, uh, what is it, IA? It was a Scion IA. The unfortunate beak, tiny car. It's okay. a rebadged, yeah. it's a rebadged Mazda 2. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the, that's been canceled, but in Mexico they have the modern version of the Mazda 2 hatchback there, which is a symphony of a car, and the sedan completely left me breathless. <laughs> Oh my God! The proportions are just fabulous. Their design house has got it together right now. They're amazing, and it's inside and out. But get into it and drive it. A friend of mine who who lives there, he picked me up. It's two times I've traveled internationally and been picked up from the airport in a Mazda Demio, which is like it was always my favorite car in Gran Turismo. Mm -hmm. I'm a weird kid, (laughs) but you know, he picks me up in this thing. I got to drive it. This thing is a thirteen thousand dollar car. How it's phenomenal. Yeah. So so really finding these shelters of who builds a car that you can actually go out and buy and love and be proud of and yeah. appreciate. Those are the stories that we're going to be looking for yeah. at the Dallas Auto and, Show. And honestly, that's where if you're a car enthusiast, that's where your money should go. Is what with those guys that have that heart to create well, good looking, well designed, fun cars that they're just like this is what we're about. I mean, Mazda could throw a turbo into a whole bunch of things and they'll do it on their big SUV, but. Mm-hmm. They're, they're keeping it light, simple, and they say, this is what we're about. If you want an Accord, go get an Accord, but this is who we are. And yeah. there's something to be said for that. I think right? so, and I think you hit on the punchline of the whole story as we look to wrap it up, is the we have an opportunity as consumers to send a message yeah. with our dollars to yes. the auto manufacturers. Yeah. And for whether you're buying used or new, you you are sending a message specifically when you choose a specific car that t- tells these manufacturers and informs the decisions they make <clears throat> for, yeah. for produce, you know, for, for developing their for models sure. in the future. More than just what you buy yourself, though. I mean, I, the high mileage MO has been influenced the influencers, right? Yeah. My guys aren't out there buying a car every day. Right. But they're the go-to people for the aunts, the uncles, the cousins yep. who want. Yes. And, you know, it's it. So I haven't had a chance to get into it. But long story short, I uh, decided to completely take a crazy detour and i went to emt school a while back and now i'm an emt yeah uh just for fun because i wanted to have that skill in my pocket and uh i ran up on a car accident the other day outside of work actually where lifelight had to be called the first thing i did was call mom it's like mom you're you know we're getting you a new car and it needs to be a crossover but it's gonna be a Mazda. Like she she her next car is gonna be a Mazda cx5 that's a good Um, car because it, it hits it hits everything that you need you need you know the space the versatility the, like the form factor okay but it doesn't have to be a boring crossover yeah. it's got an engaging interior and it's fun oh, to drive geez. their interiors are yeah and it's fun to drive they have done you know, so done, much with so little Mazda. and without the electronics it's like it's just a good suspension out of the box we don't need adaptive this we don't need electronic that it's just going to be good out of the box straight raw here At the is. auto show, you have the chance to compare these cars, you know, side by side. You can benchmark them one after the other in very close quarters. And you'll see, you know, when you get there on a media day, how's it a little bit different? On a media day, there's less people there and you get to kind of breathe a little bit and, and really, really take, take breathe it all in. 
So you'll see which cards kind of make you feel like, oh, this is it. La Dome, yeah. as the Swedes say, like, this is what a car should feel yeah. like. And that's what we're searching for. That's cool. So All right. check out High Mileage for the coverage. It'll be on Instagram. Yeah, matter. that's at High Mileage on Instagram uh-huh. and uh, at Launch Control Cars for yeah. us as well. I know, Lance, you're planning on being there. Yeah, I'll be, uh, I'll be out there with Adam at the see DFW Auto Show. Sweet. We'll so check out, out check out Instagram. You'll be uh, Our listeners will be able to follow along there. Actually, this is going to broadcast after the auto show so still check instagram and look for what we came up with yeah Yeah. found the stories i'm looking forward to meeting a lot of your listeners uh yeah so hopefully they'll reach out and say hello on high miles on instagram awesome well hey guys thanks for joining us today uh appreciate your ride a little bit more this week something special if you don't have something you want to appreciate call us up we'll get you one and also uh you can find us on all social media platforms at launch control cars reach out let us know what you're driving what you love about it yeah okay cool all right i'll be i'll be listening all right awesome take care guys